This is Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey, and I welcome you to this week's episode. Uh, Yeah, so Nick is on hiatus, still focusing on his mental health. He's staying with his parents. Uh, He has been, you know, throughout COVID, um, but just to say that he's in good hands. And yeah, we hope, I hope he's back on soon because being by myself is just not as fun. Speaking of being by myself, it is just you and me, folks. This is an experiment, actually. I don't know, something, I guess it, it makes sense because the thing I'll be talking about today is this project I'll be undertaking for the next six months to focus on myself. I will be taking a sabbatical from dating and really leaning in to me and what I want and what makes me happy. And yeah, I think, you know, this this podcast is about addiction and recovery. And I guess my most my primary, most obvious addiction is the one to alcohol, but there's this underlying one to, or just like a fucked up behavior I have with my relationships, romantic relationships with dudes. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it hasn't been serving me and it hasn't been serving me in different ways throughout the years. And it really is like an addiction. And I heard someone reference it the other day as an addiction to giving away your power, giving away my power. And that was like a light bulb that, that really hit home for me. So that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about today. I'm so used to speaking in the royal we or the Nick and I we, uh, but today, yep, just me. But before I get into it, well, today is August, Thursday, August 27th. And, you know, it... It feels a little, if not very self-indulgent to get all into myself and talk about all this shit that I'm dealing with, which is really nothing. You know, it's, it's this week we had the shooting of Jacob Blake and all with all the other stuff happening in the country, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge that, that there's a lot happening and my, you know, taking a break from dating is, is you know, is really nothing in comparison to the suffering that's happening right now in our country, especially with the black community. Um, but, you know, I've made a creative commitment and that's important to me. And hopefully this conversation with myself <laughs> will be helpful to some people out there. So yeah, back to the addiction of giving away my power. I want to, I also want to acknowledge this is fucking weird for me to be here in a talking in a microphone by myself. Cynthia from getting your shit together does it. I'm very impressed with her. I, it's difficult. So yeah, I think with my alcohol addiction and maybe other people have this experience with their alcohol or substance use, you know, it's scary when you get sober, you realize you have tons of potential and it's almost like you can do anything in the world, you know? And I I found that when I, when I remember when I was trying to stop drinking, I would, I would think like, if I can stop, if I can stop this, if I can stop this behavior, I can do anything in the world that I want to do. I can accomplish anything, but that potential can be really scary. And I, I think that there's a Marianne Williamson quote that 
It basically says that I definitely have underlined it somewhere. I'll try and find it. But yeah, that our potential is really scary and we kind of don't want to look at it. And that's me. And I think, you know, you end up handicapping yourself in some way or the other to not fully realize it or have to look at it or have to deal with it, that you have all this extraordinary power. And so for me, a lot of the, I think in the past few years or forever or whatever, part of that is me giving attention and power away to people I have romantically interested in. So I think it, for the history of it, I think it goes back to the shit that I've mentioned a million times before is that is my bullying. You know, I was pretty bullied pretty hardcore in grade school and then middle school. And it, it made me feel, and I was told regularly how ugly I was, how unwanted I was, you know, and I, and I had all the accessories to kind of back that up with the braces and the terrible acne and, you know, and I think I was just different. And I honestly, I still don't know exactly what it was behind, besides being gawky potentially and maybe sensitive, uh, like what exactly it was that drew the attackers. But I believed everything that was said about me, you know, and freshman year of high school, you know, I did a bit of a blossoming over the summer and got rid of the, the braces. You know, I, I, find, I went to a dermatologist and dealt with the acne and I think I got contacts, you know, it was, and I got my first boyfriend's freshman year of high school. And it was someone I had a crush on for years, like obsessed with for years. And when I found out someone wanted me as their girlfriends, oh God, it was like the happiest feeling. I was, I was totally overwhelmed by happiness. I can bring myself back to the moment. I, I remember exactly where I was. I remember literally the sun shining in my face. So I think it's all about been trying to reclaim that and like that feeling of safety of being wanted, I guess, to really get into it. You know, for a while I dated people that I didn't want to date at all. <laughs> and I mean, that happens throughout, like, and towards the end, I would just drink to get through those relationships, uh, to numb out and numb out all the feelings that I was feeling that were saying, no, this is wrong. You know, all of those like warnings that would pop in my head, I would just kind of shut those down and, and force it to happen. Like I had a, I, I started a serious relationship around the time I was, I don't know, 28, 29, 30, long relationship. And I just forced it because I thought, okay, now this is the time I'm going to get married and have kids. And so this has got to fucking work. And then when I, you know, got sober, I had very little self-esteem because I didn't think anyone would want to date me. And I, I, we talked a lot about this in my four year sobriety episode I didn't think anyone would want to date me because I was sober and because who wants I mean I didn't want to hang out with anyone who was sober so you know and I thought everyone drank and everyone cool drank and I didn't have any kind of respect for it or admiration and and all of that changed you know but I I was dating people for a while that just we're not up to snuff and very clearly wrong for me. And I'd, I'd also gained a bunch of weight at that time. And so I was feeling like, like very low self-esteem at that point too about that. And, you know, I just, I just wanted someone to want me. 
And lately, <laughs> recently, it's been this whole thing where I, I have hypervigilance. Uh, again, I think it's from the bullying, just like watching people being completely attuned to people's behaviors and, you know, their tone of voice, their posture, everything to see where they're at in terms of that they're liking what I'm doing or saying. I'm not conscious of it. This is just work through therapy talking, maybe conscious of it after the fact. So when I go on dates with people I like and I, I think it could work out and I'm like excited by them, I'm super hyper vigilant, And so that means I am like killing off portions of my personality, like the personality you hear on, on this, like that does not come out so much when I'm on these dates. You know, I, I just am fine, fine, like finally tuning myself to meet what I think the other person is looking for. Again, this is not conscious. I'm just like constantly picking up on vibes and changing and changing. And it's like, obviously it's exhausting. But so there's that. So it's like constantly. And then, and then there's this behavior of just like constantly putting my, doing the work. I'm the one who always drives like to the ends of the earth for the date or like if they need help or emotional help, I'll be their therapist or like talk them through shit or like, I, I just want them to like need me and want me. And, you know, and I just, and I don't think they'll want me without me giving all this shit away, you know? So again, it's that like giving away all of my power, all of the, the really good stuff. And, you know, I, I have really good friends. Like I have very good friends who I'm very myself with. So including Nick. So this it's not the case for everybody. I mean, I mean, I guess I have to feel quote unquote safe, you know, in order to open up and be myself. And there's people who, and I'm sure you've experienced this, that you just feel safe with right away. You click right away. There's a few people in my life who I just met instantaneously and just was like, they, you know, it's that feeling when someone else brings you, makes you more you, you know, they just, they just love like it, it just brings out your personality more. I just, I have these friends that like, I just feel more supported. And so I can just let loose and not feel ashamed or feel that um, vulnerability hang over the next day and not like obsess about like what I did or what I said or, you know, and so I think ideally it would be <laughs> to find a partner that does that. And I think in the past I have found a couple of those people and I've been willing to look at nothing else, you know, all of the other bad things about them or things that they need to work on or things that were bad for me because they had that quality. I, you know, I never think that this shit that I'm really excited about, maybe like sobriety, <laughs> the stuff that I really get in the hole with, love talking about, get really excited about. I don't share those things on dates or with, or with these kinds of men because I just presume they're not interested. And it's so interesting when they share those things with me, like really dorky shit they're interested in, they're really enthusiastic about it. I'm like, I like kind of am like mindfully watching it. Like, this is so interesting. They have no, they don't, they just assume I'll care, <laughs> which that's so mean because you know, I think when someone's really enthusiastic about something, it's just fun to watch them talk about it and see their passion. But for me, I also look at it as like, wow, they, they don't have that hang up. They just, they just 
are willing to show me that and, and think I'll be interested in listening to this and, or, or, you know, they don't question it. And I would never share that stuff with someone until like, I really know them. And, um, and that would take a while for me to kind of like show someone what I'm really enthusiastic about, really passionate about, because I want to keep it safe, you know? And I think it goes down to like, I don't really hold what I desire to be esteemable. Like that's, I'm really only focused on what they want and how, if they're comfortable and what their boundaries are. And I'm not thinking about what my boundaries are and what feels good to me and how, what makes me feel supported and like asking them to do shit. Like I'm all of this stuff, you know, and I guess I could talk about this forever, but I've taken off dating before like six months or something, you know, similar time periods, but I've always had my eye out, you know, like wherever I go, if I go out with friends or I go to the grocery store, if I go like to the gym or anything, I'm like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Is he interesting? Did he just make eye contact with me? You know, like I'm just kind of like constantly searching and aware and and it's so funny when cute guys make eye contact with me, I won't, I can't, I look away immediately. I just, I still have this instinct where I can't look at them directly. Even if I think they're cute, I just, I don't know. So that's not helpful. But I have this condition of, you know, that, that children's book, Are You My Mother, where the little bird is going up to like every different creature and saying, are you my mother? I'm kind of like that in my brain. I don't actually do this, but in my brain, I do that with, man on the street. The other day I was walking my dog and I saw this man approaching from like two blocks away or something. And I was like, who's that? Cause honestly, there's nobody like of age and, um, eligible in my neighborhood. And so this, <laughs> this person, a masculine figure was walking towards me like a couple blocks away. And once they got to, they were like 88 years old. And I'm like, fucking Lacey, like you're just so, <laughs> Anyone with a square shoulder is like, who's that? They could be the guy that we could have our meet cute right here with my dog on the street, you know, like constant. And it's, and now that I have some mindfulness, I can watch my brain do it. It's just obsessive. So yeah, taking a break. But there's really a flip side of the coin, right? So we could say the point of this six month sabbatical is to take a break from dating. But that's also kind of reinforcing the behavior and the thinking that I was doing before, right? Or has been my thinking, which is like to make it focused on the dating part. So really what this sabbatical is about is focusing on me and kind of being really attuned to what makes me happy, to what makes me uncomfortable, to what brings me joy. Because happy, again, I I have a problem with that word because what the fuck does that mean? It's like joy, contentment satisfaction and like have a clear boundaries of what, what I don't like. And I, you know, I can practice those in different ways in other scenarios. Like when I go to get my car serviced and have to deal with certain kinds of people. And I, it just, I had that experience today. So I'm just thinking about it that now with coat, this is such a tangent, but now with COVID, you know, I'm really only going, I'm at home all day by myself And then I'm going to the grocery store and I'm seeing some friends like socially distanced. And that's really it. I'm not doing all those annoying things that we have to do in life that we don't want to do. Like sit in like overblasted air conditioning with like a TV blasting, you know, just like super uncomfortable environments with 
people who are being rude to you or people who are talking down to you, you know, and, and having to stand up for yourself anyway. I may have to take that out. <laughs> Total tangent. So yeah, so this time will be for me to focus on myself. And, you know, it's really scary. My therapist suggested it. You know, part of me has been thinking this for the past couple months that, oh, maybe I should take a break because I'm kind of acting crazy surrounding this. And so she suggested like a good chunk of time. Um, and I agree, though it really scared me because I live by myself. We're in the middle of a pandemic and the winter is coming. So <laughs> all of those things, it just seems like impending doom and not the pressure of finding my soulmate or finding a cuddle partner between now and November is healthy or realistic, but especially since I haven't been able to find either of those things, well, cuddle partners, but not soulmates in the last year. So, I mean, I, it puts a lot of pressure and would make me even more desperate. So I think it is actually healthy to cut it out entirely to say that's just not going to happen and really kind of sit in it, you know, sit in my isolation. And, you know, obviously I'll do stuff with friends as much as we can, you know, in the cold weather. But I think I'll have to build in moments of joy, fun, like actually really fun things. Like my therapist was like, what have you always wanted to do? And I've never taken a road trip, like a cross country road trip. So maybe that would be something to do during this time. I don't know what the post-election is going to look like here in the United States, but if it's safe for me to travel by myself uh, cross country, you know, I think that would be something I'd want to do. And just really, you know, I'm, I'm working on a structure right now um, of what it's going to look like. And so far I'm looking at the, I'm, I've signed up for the Tempest, which is the digital recovery program. And there's like different tiers of membership. I did the mid tier. It's a lot of reading material and there's community. I haven't done the community yet, but I think it's, it'll be helpful for me for structure and for, you know, self-reflection exercises. I've already done this thing where I've written a letter to myself, my future self. So like six months from now. So I'll link to that. It's cool. It's this, you can go to this website and it'll send it to you six months from now automatically or whatever time period you choose, you know, five years or whatever. The, I've, I feel like I've said this a couple of times that I'm going to do it, but this time I swear the artist way. And if you're not familiar with that book, it's by Julia Cameron. She's somebody who's in recovery and she kind of built it off of the 12 steps about kind of like rekindling your creativity. And, and it's a lot of, it's very therapeutic and self-discovery oriented. I think that will be good. I'm reading this book. I'm kind of self-aware of for some reason, but it's called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's, I'm reading it really quickly. It's really easy to read, but it's inspiring me a lot. I have this problem with perfectionism. 
and it shows up all the time. And one of the reasons this podcast is really good for me is one that I do have this creative commitment every week that I have to do something and I can't like sweat out being a perfectionist about it. And that's how Nick set it up to begin with was like, he was like, we're just going to fucking put it out there whether we like it or not, you know? So that's kind of what I have to do. And this book is really a champion of that, of, and it, it, it's helpful with my perfectionist thinking. It just, which is really, as she said, it's, it's all based in fear. So kind of getting at the roots of, I think a lot of the things that drive me are my creative mind. And, you know, that's kind of going back to my childhood and as a teenager and before I kind of created all of these ways of thinking that are now causing me harm. Also, the thing that's coming up is I'm about to turn 39, which to me really is like, dun, 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 40. So, you know, (laughs) I... I'm just aware, you know, I, there's all this identity shit that comes along with that, especially I think as a woman and who's not married and doesn't have children. So maybe this is all midlife crisis, but you know, honestly, it, it, it is very much recovery because I don't think without, I took away alcohol and it's like, you just start seeing things about yourself and it's just like this fucking onion that keeps, you get, you just keep going And I had other stuff. I had the shopping and I had the food stuff. And I think I've mostly gotten a handle on it. Yes, I still go for sugar. And yes, I have impulse purchases every once in a while. But for the most part, it's way better. And I think the key to that was my mindfulness and my, you know, my meditation, which led to mindfulness, which just like allowed me to see my brain and and see the thoughts as they came and then just the practice of sitting through cravings and learning that that world wouldn't end if I didn't order a pizza, you know, or buy that dress that's on sale at Madewell, you know, but this stuff with men is really pretty deep rooted and pretty, you know, it goes far back and it's pretty ingrained. And even though I see myself doing the behavior, I, I just don't have that education of orienting back to me. Like, what do I want? You know, I don't, my, myself isn't placed in myself. Myself is always positioned outwards towards other people. So I'm really trying to just turn that shit around, turn that boat around and have it be focused on me. But yeah, I mean, this is very potential. I mean, God, midlife crisis. Isn't that so funny? Like when I was a kid, I had such a different image of what I would be when I was 40 and what a potential midlife crisis. I mean, I think midlife crises are or I always kind of stereotypically for men, but I think women can have them too. And I think, <laughs> yeah, I just, it's just so funny to think about what that is. I always think of the 80s or the 90s and like a guy driving a Porsche or something, of course, but because that was the age I was at when I was thinking of someone in their, like when my parents were in their forties, I remember my dad's 40th birthday party. I have pictures of me from that. I was probably, I mean, I could tell you exactly how old I was. I think it was around 10. I'm not going to do the math because I'm being lazy, but yeah, it's just so bizarre to think about that. Macaulay Culkin just turned 42. (laughs) In good company. No, I have a year, but yeah, fuck it. Midlife crises, crises, crises. They're, you know, I think they're, they're helpful. They kind I mean, not when you're destroying other people's lives or spending too much money or like having an affair or something, you know, but I think in this case, if this is whatever, I, you know, 
I think it kind of helps you reorient yourself. I mean, it's like, you're like, okay, for the first half of my life, I was doing all this shit. You know, I think it's just like you're willfully going where all your impulses are going, what feels good, what numbs, what, I mean, I'm just speaking to myself, I statements here. I was going towards what felt good, what my impulses, you know, someone likes me, I'll go in that direction. That felt good. I'll go in this direction. I got attention here. I'll go in that direction. You know, I was just grabbing at things because other, I was getting those impulses from other people, I guess. And now I, I just have to kind of switch it up, you know, have a new way of responding to things. And that whole, you know, that my, my self-respect has been growing and growing since I've gotten sober, but this is just another level of that. feels deeper. So, I, you know, I, I deleted the, the dating apps off my phone. And, you know, I've been, I went to, oh, I went to a cool... I went to this cool sober dance party over the weekend called Reprieve. I will link to them. They're based in New York City. Over the weekend, and I went with a friend, and I very consciously was like, okay, I'm not going, because this would, in the past, would have been, been, in the past, this would have been like a perfect place (laughs) to meet a guy, right? Sober people, dancing, perfect. But I, like, didn't dress I, I dressed for myself, for my comfort, maybe for my friends, because he has good taste. We're totally platonic, you know, just like, you know, when you, you know, somebody else will like appreciate what you're wearing. And yeah, it's hard. I just was watching my brain do things, you know, and I think that's where my mindfulness will be helpful is I just kind of am watching my brain go to its n- normal patterns and habits and the way it flows. And I just have to course correct and be like, yeah, no, actually, that's what we're doing or whatever, you know. And I, you know, I wasn't doing, sometimes when we do that, we can be cruel to ourselves and be like, shut up, what are you doing? You know, this is not, you know, but I, I think I've been successfully doing it in a kind way of like kind of just being like, Roop, nip, nip it in the bud. You know, so yeah, I think if you have any suggestions for me of books I can read, films, anything I can kind of nourish myself with, activities in this long, dark winter we have coming up, the winter of our discontent, I will gladly take them. You can DM me on social media or you can write us an email. I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, so in six months, we can do a follow-up, hopefully. Nick will be on. Nick can ask me these questions, ask me how it went. Uh, You know, hopefully it'll be obvious. I'll just be this, like, amazing woman that I've always wanted to be. Uh. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for going on that journey with me. That was a nice experiment. I hope you liked it. You can send me any... uh, suggestions for what I should be reading or doing with myself in the next six months uh, at our Instagram or Twitter profile, which is at Soberco Podcast, or you can send an email at, at uh, on our website, which is sober.company. You put that in your browser and then there's a link to contact us through there. And, you know, if you like this podcast, which I hope you do, we have some great, exciting guests coming up. But I also wanted to say, if you like this podcast, please share it with 
um, anybody, you know, your sober friends, the people in your sober network, you know, I, we would really appreciate that. Also, if you could give us a five-star rating on iTunes, that would also be deeply appreciated. Write us a review. That would be awesome. What else? Check out our show notes. I'll link to the books I mentioned during the episode. And our music is by the talented John Tessier, courtesy of the generous Said So Sound. And that's it. Thank you for listening. And I'll be back here next week. I'll open this seltzer as like a segue into the microphone. Oh, yeah.